0: Okay, so Heather, I want you to imagine that you're a Viking. A Viking. Yeah, a Viking, you know, wear like maybe a nice hat with horns. You ever try one of those before? I can't say I have.
1: Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try, explore, connect, pivot, transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com slash US slash Engineering Advantage. There's a promising tool in the fight against climate change blooming at the bottom of the ocean, seaweed. The world produces about 36 billion tons of it every year, mostly in Asian countries and mostly for human consumption. But lately, there's been a surge in startups all around the world that are turning to seaweed as a solution to environmental problems, and venture funding is following it. We might be in a race against time, though. As sea temperatures rise due to global warming, it shortens the growing season and makes seaweed production at scale all the more challenging. I'm Heather Landy, and you're listening to The Quartz Obsession. On this episode, Seaweed. Obsessing with me is my colleague, Gabriella Riccardi, who's an editor here at Quartz. Now, there are two important things you need to know about Gabby in the context of today's discussion. First, she's a total fashion plate. I've literally never seen her in jeans or a t-shirt. She usually can be found in colorful, coordinated outfits in all kinds of eye-catching materials, often with unusual textures. Second, and this probably goes hand in hand with that, she has a passion for design. Hi, Gabby. Thanks for being here. Hey, Heather. I'm excited. Gabby, tell us, where did you first hear about the burgeoning potential of seaweed?
0: So, as you know, Heather, before I became a journalist, I used to work as a graphic designer, and I'm still totally fascinated by the universe of design. I read a lot of design news, design blogs, and as of late, I've been noticing a new purring products pop up over and over and over and over. It's seaweed, so just imagine this with me: pendant lamps that are fitted with spirals of laser-cut seaweed lace, or these soaring sculptural pavilions that are constructed with cured seaweed strips, or sweaters and scarves in sort of soft, sunsetty hues, knit with seaweed fibers or dyed with seaweed extracts. Apparently, the coolest new commodity on the market could be made of kelp. Incredible.
1: So before we get too much farther, and I want to follow the money here, let's maybe get a little bit of Seaweed 101. What is it exactly? What isn't it? And how do you want to define it for the purposes of this conversation?
0: Okay, as I started wading into this, apologies for the pun, um, the one thing that really surprised me was just how many names there are for it. So there's kelp, there's marine plants, there's algae, there's macroalgae, and then there's lots of varietal names too. It's the same way that we sort of look around at plants on Earth and we've got all different genus and species. Um, there are names in different languages. Think of the Japanese kombu you might have come across before, um, and we use those in English. And sometimes names refer to specimens that aren't exactly seaweed, but we just call them seaweed colloquially. So for example, eelgrass is one that might come up in this conversation. Um, It's technically a seagrass, but mm, for ease here, we'll kind of call it all seaweed. Um, For centuries, it's been a staple of cooking in a number of East Asian nations, um, China, Japan, the Koreas. Um, Seaweed is culturally tied to so much of East Asia but it's been pretty underappreciated in most other parts of the world.
1: Why the sudden interest in this product that's been used forever as a staple of cooking and is now turning up in all these other places?
0: As I started looking into it more closely, I realized that seaweed isn't just like a preoccupation among sort of designers and esthetes. It's also become really of interest to a lot of climate scientists, and entrepreneurs and people that are really fascinated by sustainability across way more sectors than I ever anticipated.
1: And what's the connection there, would you say, between seaweed and environmentalism, sustainability?
0: So it really comes down to carbon capture at the heart. As we think about climate change, something that we talk about a lot is carbon, um, and that we have too much carbon in the atmosphere and that it's heating up the planet. Um, And one of the solutions, obviously, to counteracting carbon is photosynthesis. So ocean plants, like land plants that we see here on Earth, use photosynthesis to convert carbon dioxide. And in seaweed, they convert it into seaweed biomass and effectively suck CO2 out of the atmosphere like a water vac. So seaweed is the only organism that photosynthesizes with all of its cells, um, while other plants just use their leaves. That's why scientists estimate that seaweed's responsible for at least half of the oxygen on Earth. Half. That's amazing. Yeah, it really, it just kind of blew my mind. You know, you you don't think about it, but actually down at the bottom of the ocean, seaweed grows in forests. Um, the seaweed forests under the ground can suck as much carbon as the whole Amazon.
1: Okay, so you mentioned all the active cells that the seaweed is using to synthesize carbon. How do we know that they're good once they capture the carbon and actually storing it and keeping it out of the atmosphere?
0: So, so there was actually a super recent discovery that gives us a little insight into, into just how much longevity carbon capture by seaweed has. Um, so in October 2023, the University of Virginia announced it had made a new discovery off of the coast of Virginia at the eastern shore. So this is located near the Chesapeake Bay. And a team of explorers went out and basically plunged into the water and fished up contents from layers and layers of history at the seafloor. They found fossilized eelgrass from around the year 1000.
1: Eelgrass being a type of seaweed or something closely related.
0: Yeah. So they were in these seagrass beds and, you know, it's it's uh, belonging to the greater realm of seaweed. But when they analyzed these fossilized cores, they found that those the seagrass beds did capture carbon and retained it for all of those centuries. It was still locked in. So it really points to the fact that the seaweed can't just pull the carbon from the, a- the atmosphere, but also just keep it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years.
1: That's amazing.
0: It really is. It's, it's remarkable to, to think about, you know, like just the, the sprawling effects. If we can start to pull, you know, harmful gases out of the atmosphere now that it can really have a lasting impact
1: Okay, so it's great at carbon capture. And basically what you're saying is that instead of trying to plant a trillion trees, Mark Benioff should be trying to plant a trillion stalks of seaweed somewhere.
0: It's what some ecologists are really thinking about. So I should say, Heather, too, climate scientists and marine biologists and marine ecologists are also cautionary about how fast we want it go forward with planting seaweed and farming seaweed around the world. But why why the holdup if it seems like this sort
1: of magical thing that can suck carbon out of the air like nothing else can?
0: I think the same way that we don't want to think about, you know, like a one-stop solution to fighting climate change. There's a lot of promising science around just how potent seaweed can be. But as with many technologies or you know solutions that we chase after, before we really know all of the the potential consequences of it, um, we don't want to move too fast with seaweed and then accidentally unleash you know maybe harmful side effects like say the way that land farming has had some unforeseen you know harsh and int- unintended consequences on the environment. So we don't want to move too fast with seaweed. Um, but it's very promising, and there's a lot of start startups and scientists that are looking at seaweed from a number of angles as a sustainable re- resource, not just growing more forests or farming more of it specifically.
1: Okay, so carbon capture sounds like a logical place where we might see seaweed playing more of a role in our maybe not-too-distant future. Um, the consumer potential for seaweed... We know it's eaten a lot in different parts of the world. What else could we do with this material?
0: Oh, there's so many ways that small artists and makers are experimenting with seaweed as a product that we can wear, that we can use in in place of some of our everyday products and also build on larger scales with. Um, So one thing I'm really excited about is the potential of seaweed for textiles and for fibers and basically seaweed fashion.
1: So seaweed being used in textiles like uh, bamboo or some of these other sort of alternative materials we're seeing instead of cotton or whatever else our clothing clothing might be made out of.
0: Totally. Seaweed-based textile feels like a really fascinating emerging field to me. So here's an interesting stat I didn't know about. 60% of all global clothing is composed of fossil fuels. Um, And that's mostly thanks to synthetic textiles that we produce. So take your polyester, which is made with a lot of emissions. So when you look into alternative materials like biomaterials, um, you end up with something that's obviously biodegradable, it's organic, it's much gentler on the environment. Something else that I really love about seaweed in particular is that it's a regenerative resource. And that means that when you take it, you know, harvest it from the land or from the bottom of the sea, it can naturally regrow to its full size after, you know, whatever portion of it's been removed. And then
1: beyond the materials itself, how else are you seeing seaweed used in fashion in particular?
0: Yeah. So let's start at like the very base level of fibers that go into clothing. Um, and that's going to be made, you know, that's going to be turned into fabrics. Um, it can also be turned into yarns. Um, and then later it can also be turned into dyes. So in the world of seaweed fibers, there's one really interesting player, it's called sea cell. And that's sea like the ocean, cell like the building blocks of life, not, you know, like selling an item so sea cell harvests seaweed every four years from these fjords in iceland and it creates a kelp based fiber and so if you take a look at the current composition of it it's about 19 percent seaweed right now now those fibers can be turned taken and turned into fabrics they get woven with other textile materials um, and they can also be turned into dyes so one interesting clothing brand out there that's currently developing its own fabric with the help of sea cell is called Pengaya. It's kind of staked its brand on textiles from alternative and natural materials. Um, so it'll take sea cell pulps, which are like a wood pulp or eucalyptus pulp, and it'll take the, sea, the seaweed-based powders and it makes its own blend of a textile, which it's called sea fiber. So when you're blending seaweed with other fibers, um, like organic cotton and you can create fabrics and then those turn into sweaters or, you know, t-shirts. And they look just like a, you know, 100% cotton t-shirt. It's really fascinating. They look really soft. They look really breathable. They're water resistant, all that kind of stuff. What's interesting is that nothing is 100% seaweed based when we're talking textiles and fabrics.
1: So it still needs to be mixed with other materials right now.
0: That's exactly it. The science of it is really fascinating. It's because algae grows in a different structure than, Mm -hmm. say, like a cotton fiber. And while we obviously have centuries behind us of knowing how to weave fibers from cotton and turn that into fabric, we just don't have that history with seaweed. So it's super in development. With Pangaea right now, they're doing a blend with organic cotton fibers and these seaweed fibers. The goal is to slowly phase out the organic cotton until we can get 100% seaweed into the fabric. But it's just not there yet. It's a work in progress. It sounds like the whole
1: sort of infrastructure around the creation of the material would have to change in order to accommodate the different structure of seaweed.
0: That's exactly it. It's the same story with textile dyes that are derived from seaweed. So fabric dyes are actually believed to be some of the highest pollutants in the fashion industry. You know, you take a look at something black and it's often dyed from petroleum, which, you know, is oil based and really not what we want to be putting more of into the earth. Or, or onto our bodies. No, no, not onto our bodies either. So there are small shops out there that are turning algae into powder um, and then being able to extract dyes from it. One of them is called Living Ink. That's a pretty major player out there. Like I said before, C-Cell making these fibers, they are also involved in the fabric dyeing game. There's also another interesting one out there called Zephyr and I love how they market their, you know, natural textile dyes because they're first of all 100% seaweed, but they come in a range of shades that you would totally not expect to come out of. Like, yeah,
1: I was I was just going to ask: Does this mean that like the future of clothing we're all going to be in various shades of dark green, or how is that going
0: to work? <laughs> no, we will not be in giraffe, mud and grass colors. Thank God, Heather. Thank God. I, I've taken a look at some of them, and you know they come in like all of these like fascinating plummy shades, mauvey shades, orangey shades, so you really have a much wider spectrum than you would ever expect to come out of just seaweed from the bottom of the ocean.
1: So, Gabby, I'm sitting here in utility pants and a sweater, and I'm just wondering how long it's going to be before you're traipsing in here wearing seaweed.
0: Oh, my God. The second I find it on a clothing rack, Heather, you know, it's still not... (laughs) it's still not a widespread material that we can all get our hands on outside of certain specialty orders or like really seeking it out. But the pictures that I've seen, we talk about the the, the fact that it's biodegradable and it's breathable, but it's got like, you know, some of these seaweed based textiles are totally cool. You look at these yarns that are kind of shimmery or these faux leathers that have like all this gorgeous texture to them and some light that can shine through them. And I'm like, anyone who wants to be a fashion futurist should totally be like grabbing at whatever seaweed that hits the market.
1: You're saying shimmery and it like
0: it almost sounds like the ocean is what it will look like. Truly. I was, you know, I was in like I was deep into a Reddit community for knitters. It was just like the knitting subreddit. Of you were. <laughs> and I see there's someone sitting by the ocean. They snap a photo, they're like, look at my new material that I'm, you know, knitting with a view. And it's a seaweed-based yarn. And she was like, it's got like this glimmer to it. All the commenters are like, oh, wow, that's a little shiny. It's a little sparkly. Like, what a fascinating texture that we don't usually see in our knits. Um, and I, I mean, I just want to get my hands on it. Who doesn't want to shine with all of you know, the seven C's?
1: Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? It's a question that drives progress. And more importantly, how do you get there? It's curiosity, resourcefulness, and bold ideas that can drive us even further than new technology. Because while technology can take you far, human exploration could take you even farther. Deloitte helps businesses build the future only they can imagine by melding deep business acumen and innovative technology with a vast team of tech-savvy professionals. Unlock technology as powerful as your vision and push the boundaries of the possible so that you can stay a step ahead with the thinking to help you transform what's next into what's now. Helping you see the extraordinary potential in the seemingly ordinary while blending the possible with the practical is what Deloitte does. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at deloitte.com US engineering advantage. It seems to me that like sort of frontier industries like this attract usually pretty interesting characters. Are there any like really interesting people that you have found that are trying to work with this material and make it more of a force in modern manufacturing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's one that I really love. Um, It's a, a small design studio that's also got scientists and architects baked into it. It's called the Department of Seaweed. Um, So it's led by a Finland-based designer and researcher named Julia Lohman. And she's been making giant kelp-based structures for more than a decade now. She kind of started more small and experimental. um, And I love the story of how she got into it. She talks about how she was compelled to experiment with seaweed as a product when she first came across an edible type called kombu in a Japanese fish market. She called it gorgeous, like veneer or wood. It was laid out in these long strips in sort of a market stall. She's since experimented with how to stretch it and treat it so that seaweed could eventually replace leather or also paper or plastic. One initial design that she came out with years ago were these intricate lampshades that sort of hang from chandelier lamps. And they've got these spirals, they're laser cut. They've got like these beautiful tendril-like hangings um, from the ceiling. One of her more recent larger scale builds um, is a pavilion made of seaweed. It was actually brought to Davos in 2020. It was made of these sort of elegant curved and sloping shapes. They were bound with rattan and panels of semi-translucent seaweed. So the space was brought to Davos for leaders to sort of sit in and contemplate You know where they were making consequential decisions for the world, and maybe remember the environment while they were there. Um, Depending on the time of day, if you were sitting in here, the light that trickles in can be cast in hues of amber and orange and ochre. The effect was this soothing space that you could spend a lot of time in, contemplate, um, and maybe consider the natural world that we should be conserving. You may also encounter seaweed in a more integrated way in how you live because it's being tested as potential insulation or building materials in construction, like for homes.
1: And that, as I understand it, is not actually the newest application that we've ever seen of seaweed.
0: Yeah, that's actually true. Okay, so Heather, I I want to get a little first person with this. So I want you to imagine that you're a Viking living on the now Danish island of Laysa. Heather isn't super a Viking name, so maybe we'll call you Helga. So Heather slash Helga, you live on this island in the North Sea and you have some property aspirations. So you get together with your community and you're gonna build you a home. You put up the four walls, one by one by one. And when it comes time to lay the roof, you turn to a nearby natural resource. It's eelgrass, which is a type of seagrass. And it works surprisingly great. It's warm, it's waterproof, it's fireproof, it resists rot. But what you don't know as you're thatching that roof, Heather slash Helga, is that one day, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ahead of you, people are going to revive that practice.
1: So thousands of years later, this is making a resurgence. How so?
0: Yeah. So some designers are looking at traditional Viking practices from this island to create building insulation. One prominent one, her name is Catherine Larson. She studied how these residents on Laysa adopted the thatching roof practice using eelgrass. Um, Mm -hmm. So the practice was solidified by 16th century women. And actually, 32 historic houses remain on the island today. And their roofs are made of the eelgrass, which are put together through this knitting technique. So Larson has been studying this, and she's actually pioneered. Eelgrass is a sustainable construction material. Once you put it together, the eelgrass can constitute wall panels or maybe roofing panels.
1: So it's strong.
0: It's strong and it lasts. So these houses from, you know, the the Viking times, they've been maintained, and so those roofs last anywhere from 200 to 400 years and hopefully hers will last even longer. Um she says it's fireproof, it's rot resistant, it's carbon negative and it even becomes waterproof after about a year.
1: Interesting that you bring up Scandinavia. And I'm guessing with the design connection that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of the the new ways that you're seeing seaweed getting used is perhaps
0: from that region of the world? There's quite a few. They're actually also spread all over Europe. Um, there's a really fascinating company based out of the UK, which is pioneering seaweed-based material designed to replace plastic packaging. Um, it's called NotPluck. And so their seaweed material is like this thin, almost like a saran wrap substitute in some ways. One of the more fascinating recent uses of their product um, was debuted at the London Marathon in 2019. In 2018, the London Marathon used over 919,000 plastic bottles, and it's all single-use plastic, so it was a huge pollutant. Um, But in 2019... The plan that they enacted was to replace about 200,000 of those bottles with edible seaweed pods. So as runners are running through all of their miles, or kilometers if you're in the UK, instead of being past bottles, they got handed one of these pods. It looks like a little square package, um, just like a little airtight plastic pod. It was totally edible and it was filled with sports drink. You know, what's actually kind of fascinating is that they almost look like Tide Pods. And so this is people's ways to finally fulfill their Tide Pod challenge fantasy without, you know, poisoning yourself. Without getting sick. (laughs)
1: Okay. We don't want to endorse Tide Pod consumption, but seaweed pod consumption
0: sounds okay. In addition to that saran wrap type plastic, NotPla has also turned seaweed into covering for to-go boxes, condiment packets, those kinds of things. Um, Nopla is also creating seaweed papers, which are formulated with about 30% seaweed right now. Um, the paper is kind of creamy and textured if you look at it. And so it could be used for not just, you know, writing a letter to someone, but it can be for product packaging, wine labels, envelopes. And something interesting there is when you turn to a marine product like seaweed um, to create a paper, it alleviates pressure off of forests for you know, paper manufacturing.
1: So is this going to be like niche novel uh, materials like mushroom leather that we did a whole episode of this podcast on in a previous season? Um, do you think it will actually go somewhere and have actual take up or will this remain some sort of novelty item?
0: I think that's a really fascinating question. Um, it's most certainly early stages. And like I said before, there's no big, you know, in the world of fashion, for example, there's no big house that's undertaking this right now. It's all very small shop stuff, small developers, small designers. There are big house investors. Um, for example, I read somewhere that H&M is invested in one of these, financially supporting the research that goes into this more sustainable um production and more more sustainable materials. So Gabby you now know
1: more about seaweed than anyone else I know what is your big takeaway about it?
0: You know without getting too deep into like all of the the potential for seaweed farming as being the next great forest that will save the planet um you know I've learned that there's there's no one natural resource that's going to be a magic bullet for all of our the havoc we've waged to create a climate crisis but Looking at all of the ways that people are focusing on one potential resource and spinning off a thousand solutions with it, it really is a story of ingenuity. When we apply our efforts in one direction, how many different solutions and how many different innovations we can sort of like fabricate out of it. And I think that's the kind of an ingenuity that we want to apply to like attacking climate crisis writ large. Um, just think if we apply that same kind of exploratory curiosity to other resources that we can, you know, use to replace some of the the more harmful products that we have in our everyday lives, the ways that we can reinvent, you know, how we consume. Think about them as choices that are gentler to the earth that we all live on. So
1: finding this like remarkable material but then applying several layers of human ingenuity on
0: top of that. Absolutely. Very cool.
1: Gabby, Helga, and I thank you for being with us today.
0: It's been a real treat. I think we should sail away. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's been a real treat, Heather Helga.
1: Gabriella Riccardi is a deputy editor at Quartz. This episode was produced and edited by Chad Shanai and engineered by Juan Palacios with additional support from Quartz Executive Editor Susan Hausen and video head Garth Bardsley. Our theme music is by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugira. If you like what you heard, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening. Tell your friends about us. Know someone who's interested in cleaning up the atmosphere and their fashion game? Send them this episode. Then head to qz.com slash obsession to sign up for Quartz's weekly obsession email and browse hundreds of interesting backstories. I'm Heather Landy. Thanks for listening. Today's word on innovation? Possible. It's the daily mantra of Deloitte teams and clients who turn complexity and challenge into opportunity and growth impossibly often. Read their stories at Deloitte.com slash US slash client stories. Bulwark is a weird word. Am I even saying it right? Am I, again, I even, a promising bulwark.